Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Sam Eaton, founder of Recklessly Live Ministries. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is Tyler Brondike and if this is your first time joining us today, first want to extend uh, a thank you for, for hopping on and really do hope that you find some value in this episode. If this is your second, third, fourth, 40th time, conti- uh, thank you for your continued support for the Guys Like Us podcast. Today's episode is with Sam Eaton, the founder of Recklessly Alive Ministries, helping people be more alive. What I really enjoy about this conversation today is Sam is is a millennial. He is really down to earth. He's a teacher by day and does recklessly live ministries um, nighttime on the weekends and whenever school is not in session. But uh, he he explains his story on on depression and uh, nearly committing suicide um, several years back on on Christmas Day, and he breaks down the detail by detail. Uh, night of, of how this breaks down. Um, we chat a bit more about the idea of identity. This was something that he he was facing for for 10 years, um, having a lot of challenges with with his family and father figure, um, like a lot like a lot of Americans do. Um, and he was losing losing hope, losing faith. Um, and that all changed on this one that one night uh, when God was able to show show off his love. Um, and he breaks down the recent article, 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out and they're trying to tell us why an article that he published is very timely and was shared over 681,000 times, 12 reasons why uh, millennials are dropping out of church, uh, folks that were previously involved in church and are no longer part of it. It's it's real. It, it it gives examples. It shows a lot of practical advice, um, and he shares a few a few examples on the podcast as well. Excited for you guys to hop into this episode today. Uh, I I want to leave it a little bit brief um, because there is a lot of really good conversation, and um, and Sam does a does a great job of tying it all together and and showing the complete picture of of God's love uh, throughout. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I have the opportunity to chat with Sam Eaton, the founder of Recklessly Alive Ministries. Uh, He's a teacher and, of course, a disciple of Christ. So, Sam, thanks so much for hopping on the line today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. Yes, absolutely. So to kick things off, um, just want to open up in prayer, uh, just to set the tone for the conversation, and then we'll uh, we'll dive we'll dive a bit deeper. Awesome. Lord, thank you for bringing Sam and I here uh, this evening, um, just to be in your presence and to to do something that's greater than ourselves, and have a purpose to to do so is is awesome. And I pray today for for our conversation, and that anyone that is tuning in um, from wherever they are right now, that they can uh, pull out something even even as super small that it, that it can 
grow and can continue to, to be a good word for their life um, and, and impact the way that they live, uh, hopefully on a day-to-day basis. So I, I thank you for uh, all that you're doing and, and just know that this conversation will be led by you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So um, obviously, you know, I want to chat a bit more about Recklessly Alive Ministries. Uh, something that you've really started to spend a lot more time in is uh, I'm sure uh, where a lot of your heart is now. Um, but I also want to I want to talk a bit more about the story that that really led to, to Recklessly Alive Ministries and allowed you to, to pursue something, um, uh, you know, of this caliber. So can you just uh, take us back a bit more and Talk about this this story uh, that that changed everything um, for for folks who may not be familiar with Recklessly Alive Ministries and really what your story entails. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I had a lot of struggles as a kid. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and as a result of that disease, caused just tons of pain in my life. Uh, home was not uh, my favorite place to be at all. Uh, he left when I was twelve. Uh, Fast forward a couple years, my mom and I were really struggling. She was working a lot of jobs. I got a job at 14, uh, quit a lot of the things that I had loved, quit playing basketball, a number of things. Uh, and we just did our best to kind of make it through in the aftermath of, of what was, was a lot of hard years. Um, when I, about 14, I really started struggling in school. My grades tanked. Um, I was going through some bullying at school and just some other things uh, and really started struggling uh, in, in a lot of areas of my life, and I didn't know at the time I was battling depression. Depression is part of my family uh, history. It, it's been a big part of my story, um, but nobody had ever talked to me about that before or uh, suicidal thoughts by any means, and so those are things I battled all the way through my teenage years, all the way through college. Even though I was a Christian at that point, I knew who Jesus was. I had been to youth group and things like that, um, but I was still battling uh, some really tough things uh, just inside. And so when I was 23, it was my second year out of college, my life really hit rock bottom. Uh, A girl that I'd been in love with in college, we kind of ended things. I I had insane amounts of student loan debt. I I was the first person in my family to graduate from a four-year college, so I just didn't understand student loans or, or that kind of thing. Uh, I hated my job as a new teacher. I was teaching elementary school at that time, and it was really, really hard, and I was making very little money. Uh, I was living back at home with my mom, but where so many of the years of just abuse had happened to me, uh, and I, I was binge drinking quite a bit. Um, I'd gotten back with friends, uh, and that's what they did. They partied a lot, and that's what I did to hide just the mess that was going on underneath so uh, finally, like late November, I actually picked a day to end it. I picked Christmas Day. Um, I had been battling those thoughts for the better part of 10 years, and I just finally said, enough is enough. And I had this night where I was just screaming at the roof of my car at God. I just said, God, you must really hate me uh, for if this was truly your plan for my life, uh, you must you must not love me because this is, this is horrible. This is, this is terrible. And so uh, for three weeks, I had like, packed boxes and written letters, and uh, I was pretty sure that I would go through with it. And so when that day came, Christmas Day, I checked out of the family stuff, and I I stayed home, and uh, I wrestled with this for hours, and I just sobbed on our bathroom floor and um, would pick up the knife and put it back down and pick up the pills, put them back down, and finally I just started counting back from 10, 
Uh, and when I got to about three, this question really broke through, and the question was, have you really given life everything you've got? Uh, and in that beautiful moment of clarity, and now what I would call God or the Holy Spirit, um, I did. I, I put the knife down, and I, I ran out of the house and um, drove and drove and drove through the night almost, and then uh, I sat in an abandoned parking lot late into the night, and I watched the, the clock tick by, 11.57, 11.58, 11:59, and, and at midnight, I just said, "Okay, I've made my choice. I've I've decided to stay. I'm gonna kind of figure out how to get my life back to a place um, that I like who I am and and I, I like my life that feels alive." And so that same week, I started a blog, uh, which today is called RecklesslyAlive.com. Um, even in that horrible season, I I asked God, you know, how can I use all this pain to help other people? And that's a question he continues to answer in my life every day. Uh, I didn't tell anyone for a lot of years. It took a long time before I started telling this story and talking about it. Um, but it has led to this beautiful ministry uh, that I'm really blessed to be a part of. Wow. Wow. Incredibly powerful story. Um, and I, I know, you know, at least I, I can, I can empathize. My, my family also has a lot of anxiety and depression, just looking back at our lineage and, and sometimes it can feel so, so hard to escape um, what's been going on for, as you said, 10 years, right? And it, when, when something's been going on, it, it, did, did you feel like this started to become your identity? Like this was, this was who you were and, and, and there was really no, there would be no deliverance for, from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I let like shame completely sink into who I was. Uh, I just, I, I went from just not just making mistakes, but thinking that I was the mistake, you know, that I should have never existed. And you, you're right. My identity got rooted in all of the pain and all of the hard things that I had been through. And at that point too, no one had ever talked to me about depression and suicide. I didn't know, uh, what that was or that, that a lot of people battle that every day. We know, about one in five, or one in five adults will experience mental illness. One in six will experience depressions. The same things for teenagers, um, and so uh, I just didn't have any of that knowledge base either to know that you know life could end up there. But there's so much help, and there's so much hope, and there's this God of love who's going to see you through all of that. Mm, mm. Yeah, and and it sounds like you you almost kind of like put it all on the line, right? You start to count down from ten and. Um, that, that's, that's so interesting to me. And when you hit three, and obviously there's a lot of biblical significance to the number three. Um, but, uh, that was really when this, this kind of, this kind of God showed up, right. Or this, 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 this question showed up and obviously, you know, we can see that it was something that completely altered your, your trajectory and you, you were able to put down the pills, put down the knife and, and, uh, you know, you these moments are just of absolute weakness. You can, uh, you can still find, um, find light and you can still find some strength to, to push your way out. Um, and, and I know after doing, you know, look, looking a bit into, more into your story, um, looking at your response, it was to run, you know, and looking at that video, I know that you kind of ran away from, from these things or, or kind of ran away from whatever was happening. Um, kind of how did, how were you able to, to find God through all of this as well? Yeah, so in the weeks that followed, 
you know, the, the the truth of my story is it did not just get immediately better. I didn't yeah. wake up the next day and everything was perfect. But mm-hmm. in, in the weeks that followed, I, I finally just said to God, you know, God, if you're real and if, if you're there, you're going to have to show me how to tell a better story with my life and how to live a better life. Because all these choices that I have made on my own have led me to this place where I don't even want to be alive anymore. And so I decided it was just a really simple thing. I just said, if I felt like God was asking me or calling me to do something, I would just do it. I would just say yes. And so it started really small. Mm. Somebody just asked if I would teach fifth and sixth grade Sunday school at church. Uh, Soon they asked, would I help with middle school worship? And would I mentor two high school kids? And would I run a Bible study for high school kids in my house? And, you know, would I go to Haiti? Would I go to Zimbabwe? And and the yeses just kept getting bigger. But so much of it was just in the day-to-day, the simple yes. If I felt like God wanted me to do something, if I felt like God didn't want me to go party, if that was not the healthiest thing for me, um, I would just rely on that. And it wasn't perfect, and I didn't follow it every single day. But the trajectory of my life really started to change in that moment when I started trusting Him and looking to Him um, for the guidance of of how to live the life that He's given Mm -hmm. me. Wow, wow, wow. So really letting God's will be done. Um, and wow, interesting, interesting. And, and um, you know, that's, that's a, I was reading this book, is, uh, it's called The Cost of, Disi- the Cost of Discipleship um, by Dietrich bon- Bonhoeffer. I don't know how to mm-hmm. correctly pronounce his name, but one thing it talks about is uh, faith and obedience. And, and the two work together. So you can, you, you know, you, you have to have obedience in order to, I, I I think what he's inferring is true faith, and I and I like and I do see obedience in that response and saying, whatever you plan on me doing, I'm gonna follow. Um, and you and you showed that, and that was something that it sounds like you know obviously it wasn't an overnight flip, but responding to those acts, uh, those these questions that continue to to pop up by you opening up your heart and, and really just kind of saying, hey, like I'm gonna let you do this. That was. You know, it might have felt a little bit slow at the time, but as you said, it, they conti- those yeses continued to get bigger and bigger, and uh, you're you obviously have done a lot a lot of work since then. Um, and, and I want to hear, I want to share, I want to hear um, about why you just you know why you decided to share the story um, and and not just keep it for something that you know was a life lesson for yourself. Um, but what the value of was sharing with was with sharing the story and kind of why you decided to wait a little bit of time to, to share it. Yeah, so it's not something that I ever wanted the world to know. In fact, I still would much rather go back to that much more perfect version of myself where yeah. people just knew the good things. Uh, I teach in a pretty large school district in uh, Minnesota, and a number sure. of years ago, in a short amount of time, we lost two students, a teacher and a principal, who all took their own life over I think it was about a year um, and every time as a staff we would get an email just from the counseling center letting us know what was happening and every time it, w- it was just like a knife to my chest because mm. I, I knew what that person was going through uh, I had an idea of now the, f- the family and the ripple of of that decision and I would just sit at my desk and I would just cry um, whether I knew the person or not and uh, with each time I just I had this overwhelming sense that I just had to do something and I knew I had a story around this that could possibly help people. I didn't know how I would ever be strong enough to tell that story, considering I had only ever told one or two people uh, at that point at all. Um, but 
I, I just kind of started saying yes. And that started by writing a book. I spent about a year and a half writing out my story, mm. uh, which has kind of turned into the talk and turned into a lot of what I do um, in the speaking realm now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was two years ago that I officially just said yes to God in this ministry. Uh, I finally just, mm-hmm. I, it was this overwhelming feeling like I was just supposed to start this ministry. I didn't know what it would be or what it would look like. And uh, it was just, again, another place where I, I just said yes. And I think, I mean, the value of the story uh, it is just letting people know that they're not alone, right? That there's... Mm-hmm. No matter what you're going through, there's so much help and there's so much hope. Like, I mean, First Peter says, uh, "Be ready always to give an answer for the hope that you have." Three fifteen, mm-hmm. uh, and and this is what I have. I, I don't want to tell this story. It's funny. I we did 25 events last year. We've done 11 this year, and it doesn't get any easier. I wake up on a day of giving one of these talks, and I, I don't want to. I, I dread it. Um, and I, I even fight with God now. I, I don't want to be the suicide guy. That's not what I want to yeah, be. Um, yeah. But that is my story, right? And that's my testimony. Um, and uh, that, to me, that's that's where how I can best share the hope of Christ is just sharing the worst moments in my life, the, the hopelessness I was living in, and then just how I found hope through all of that. Wow. No, and that's and that's real. And that's real. Uh, and I think a lot of times we don't. Um, you, you know, something like this here, the, the initial reaction is like, oh, wow, well, you know, he overcame this and now he's sharing a story and, you know, now he gets to, you know, do all the, he must love what he's doing and he must feel like so energized all the time. And, um, and the reality is, you know, I'm sure there's these moments where it's like, yes, it's all worth it. And like, yes, like this, I, and, you know, I know that this, this is the plan and this is what I'm supposed to do. But as you said, you, when you wake up, you dread doing it. And it's, it's tough because it's, yeah, it's, it's pushing, it's going outside of what you, uh, what you would have done on your own and, uh, and kind of letting, letting God kind of take the lead and take the step on that. So I, I appreciate your, your honesty there. And, um, it, it doesn't define, you know, you're not defined as a suicide guy, but I, I definitely know what you mean. Like even, you know, if I'm doing something, Say I play soccer a lot. I'm known as the, the soccer guy, right? And you don't always want that that single kind of label to 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 identify who you actually are. But I, I understand absolutely. Um, I, I want to shift a little bit into one of your blog posts. Fifty nine percent of millennials raised in a in church have dropped out, and they're yeah. trying to tell us why. Um, so this is something that uh, I. I I am. I, I looked at it. I read it, and I'm like, yes, this this is perfect. This is ex- like, why haven't I seen? Why didn't I see this earlier? Um, because because you know it's true. I mean, as we're especially you know you you living in Minnesota. I, I live in you know in the Northeast, and it's a very it's a pretty well educated area, um, and a lot of people are kind of wrapped up in whatever else they're doing and kind of put. Uh, put church, put faith kind of on the, on that, you know, to do list, something that they're, that, that they can do later. And, and then if they decide to do it, then it's, it's on their, you know, they often have a bad experience and they, this, this experience really cha- can change it, you know, change a trajectory for somebody. Um, so this, this article obviously got a lot of audience recept- receptivity with over 681,000 shares. Um, and in this article, you mentioned a handful of ways that people are disinterested in, in church. So I, I wanted to hear um, just a bit more about uh, maybe a, a, a few, top three reasons 
um, why people are not in the church doors um, and how we can how we can change the situation as well. Yeah, so just a quick background on the article. Mm. So as I shared before, I threw myself into church. I was just living and breathing church for about five years following my attempt. I actually bought my house to be closer to this church because I was there four and five days a week. And so uh, when I wrote this article, it really was a love letter to this church that I've been serving because I kept hitting this place where I was wondering what was going on, and I, I read. I led a young adults ministry for a while, and and so I was carrying a lot of other people's stories too of just their frustrations with this church. Um, and so I was sitting in this large church meeting, uh, and I was looking around, and there's a couple hundred people there, and there's only a handful of people under thirty. And I just started praying, and I just started listening uh, and asking God, like, what what are we missing here? Like, we're missing something when my generation is not showing up, and and what is that? And then I just spent uh, a long time, weeks in, in myself, just journaling and thinking through, all right, what were the things uh, that I've really struggled with about church? And so just a couple of them. I mean, mm-hmm. the first one for me, I wrote that serving the poor isn't a priority for a lot of churches. And uh, you know, I believe the purpose of church is to make disciples, uh, fully believe that. And, and, but I also believe that uh, part of being a disciple is serving the is serving mm. the least of these. Mm. I believe uh, yes. when Jesus said the things to do for the least of these are the things you do for me. And so I think if we want to train people to be disciples, that, that that's a big part of it. And so I'm not saying don't study the Word of God or anything ridiculous like that. Of course, I love the Bible, all of those things. I think there's value in, in, in Bible studies and, and groups like that. But I think a lot of times our, our focus and our, our shift is off uh, of how we spend our time. I think we get absorbed in Christian activity and, and serving is just a side idea. So so my hope is and my prayer is that the church gets back to equal parts where we're studying the Bible, we know God, but we also are out there in our community, um, a visible sign of Christ's love to the people around us. And, and I think if, if a community around a church isn't audibly thankful that, that we're there and that we're serving them, that that we're missing something, that we're, we're failing at being the aroma of Christ. And so I, I just see that balance as being a little bit off, and I hope that it shifts a little bit more back towards service. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another one for me is just big distrust of institutions in general. I mean, this there's a lot of research that backs this up, but when I look back at my life being 29, I mean, I haven't grown up in a time where the Catholic Church wasn't being talked about on a national level on a regular basis. And so I, I think that we just have some repair work to do um, as a church, capital C. I mean, you look at the church church in America and how many hundreds of different denominations do we have, and, and I really do think that, they're, that, that my generation and our generation is just sick of the fighting and sick of the shouting and, and all of the arguing. Um, so I, I hope that the, the church will come out and um, be more open about things that they've been through, not try to hide or any secrecy, things like that, be more open with their finances mm. um, and just more open in, in their leadership about, you know, why they're doing the things that they're doing. Uh, so, so learning, teaching us, giving us reasons to trust the institution again, because mm. the truth is most don't. And then, and one more is just a big one. And I see this over and over again is, you know, uh, millennials want to be mentored, not preached at. So mm. they're not saying don't preach. Again, that's ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about a generation with the largest percentage of fatherless homes in history, and I'm, I'm one of those. And mm. um, I think 
millennials really crave authentic relationship. I think every human does. And so finding ways for for older people to come alongside younger people and really mentor them, I, I think that's what Jesus did in, in picking his disciples. And um, I hope that we, we move towards that model again, uh, where we're just really inviting people to do life with us, the good and the bad, um, and teaching them over time as, as we do life together, instead of constantly being known for the things that we're against or constantly shouting at others, that we just learn to love them well and, and share truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, focusing on likeness rather than difference, um, and, and no, I, I I think those those three reasons are three that that definitely top that kind of hit me too. And I know that I, I think recently we're starting to as so I think one as discipleship is starting to I, I guess that that term has kind of become a lot more aware to me. It's it's it, I think it's tough because when you when you, you know you'll see. Uh, the church as an institution um, is focused on so many other things that it's tough to kind of have a structured or focused mentorship or something, a program, or just, just being intentional about really developing up um, young, young people or, or even people that, you know, that, that have been there for a while that haven't had the opportunity to, to, to pair up with somebody that can, that can continue just being with them and being, whether it's a figure, uh, whether it's accountability partner, whether it's, someone they can pray with anybody so that just to continue to forge that community and, and, and find true relationship and, and, in each other. And, and I completely agree. I think, um, people don't want to get preached at and it's always, I think that's, um, that's interesting because, um, you know, people, I think people go to the, the reasons why people go to church now might not always be the reasons that, uh, or, or the way the, the way that people are trying to connect with church now is not al- is not always the the way that um, the church is trying to connect back with the people. Um, so there's this kind of this interesting uh, parallel with you know trying to show the sh- show the word of God, um, but also being respectful and being mindful of where a lot of these people have come from and where they are now. Um, so trying to find people where they are, uh, and then finally, I think. Your first point, service, is is crucial, and I, um, I, I find it hard to get involved in something that's, you know, continuous and something that isn't just a one-time thing. But be involved in a almost, you know, keeping service as a as a core tenet of something where you know, even on rather than going to church on a Sunday, you're serving on a Sunday, you know. And I don't always think it has to be a you know a Sunday word, but you can you can do church through service as well. Yeah, I love that. And Bob Goff is one of my favorite authors, but he talks about in one of his books, Love Does, about changing his Bible study to being called Bible Doing, uh, where they actually go out and practice uh, what they're learning in the Bible, which I just, even that, right, it's just a simple shift into, instead of focusing on self, to just making sure we're focusing on others, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, I, I love uh, Bob Goff as well. I have a few other buddies that, that love him, so it's... Uh... Uh, um, his book is it, it was, it's called Love Does, correct? Mm-hmm. One of his big books. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's one of my favorites. Um, so I think when um, just I guess the last last few questions here, um, kind of looking at this article and looking at everything that that you're seeing now, um, if we were to kind of zoom in and say, all right, this is this is the number one step that that should be taken. Um, 
what 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 do you think you would focus on first listening first and foremost i think uh we as a church just need to be listening and, and get to know uh this generation or whoever you want to be a part of your church it i think we need just it starts with asking questions you know it starts by uh by just listening to those around us who have different stories whatever that story is uh and i, I learned pretty quickly um, how angry a lot of people are about the church. I got thousands of angry emails. Um, I had an email from a man <laughs> that said I should have just killed myself instead of criticizing Christ's bride. Uh, and so just the amount of of anger that people had without ever listening to mm. my heart behind what I had written. And obviously that's a, a large example, but mm. I do think it's a metaphor for, for what a lot of people experience in church in general. They experience this judgment experience um, just this hurt before anybody even asks about who they are or where they've been you mm. know what led them to maybe the sin patterns that they have um, and, and just getting to know them first before before judging or, or getting so defensive about about well this generation's entitled and this generation doesn't listen and I, I hope that we can all just start to listen to each other better and argue yeah. a little less yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I'm completely on board with that um, so last, uh, last two questions I have, um, uh, what, what advice do you have for, uh, for young people? Um, you know, particularly I'd say millennials, uh, who are interested in, uh, I guess learning more about Jesus or re-engaging their faith, um, you know, kind of back to maybe back to where it was or, or even back to a new level. Um, what what advice would you have for people who are looking to get deeper? Yeah, I, I mean, my advice is <laughs> it's uh, not revolutionary. I mean, yeah. first and foremost, I would say you just man read your Bible, uh, yeah. and if if you have a version that doesn't lend well or feels like you're reading Shakespeare, then I, I would suggest finding something like the Message or the New yeah. Living Translation, something a little easier to digest. Yeah, uh, when you, especially when you're starting out. But I mean. For me, it all changed when I started to actually focus on who Jesus was, not mm. just you know what the culture had led me to believe or what I thought, but like actually focusing on the love of God and, and who Jesus was, the visual representation of what a life lived, serving God and loving God can look like and, and should look like. Um, that's where it really started to shift for me. And even after I went through a number of hard church things, even after that article came out, there's a lot of people within my own home church they were very angry with me about that and personally offended that I would write uh, that I would write that and I spent a lot of time being angry at the church um, trying yeah. to just work through through that but the thing that really got me through any of that hurt and any of that was just going back and focusing on what I know is true and you know what I know is true about God because um, that's what's going to get you through anything that you go through I, I still love church I think church is one of the be- the greatest endeavors on the planet. Um, but I think a lot of people get hurt by the church and then never press into who God is and they never separate the two. So first and foremost, just get to know God. Um, focus on your relationship with God above everything else. Mm. Uh, life is so busy. Um, and even if that feels weird for you, it doesn't have to be super crazy. Maybe it's just you spend an hour 
um, a day or a week, whatever you have time for, just wrestling with some of the questions that you have, you know, um, re- spending time reading a Christian book or, or talking with somebody who is a Christian or, or other religions too, but just giving yourself permission mm-hmm. to, to not have all the answers, right? It's like even somebody who's been following Jesus for 60 years doesn't have all the answers and, and giving you permission for that to be okay. And to go through seasons of doubt where you're like, yeah, this sounds a little science fiction. you like, he yeah. came back from the dead. Is that possible? Um, but then, then also spending time just reading that story and, and listening to God and, and learning for yourself uh, what is true mm. and, and taking ownership of, of your faith, making sure it's on your terms. And I think so many people just passively walk through life and they don't give a second thought to to who God is or, you know, what's, what's for us after this life. And I just think that's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's worth the, the personal discovery and the seeking and, and not being ignorant. I think some people are a little bit ignorant to, to faith. And I mean that in a loving way, because, you know, I, I, I think that there, there's a notion to ignore, right? Ignorant comes from the word ignore and it's just to, to push to the side. Um, but, uh, just, I, I think when we're in times of weakness, when we're on times, when we're on the bathroom floor and in times of challenge and whatever that, however that looks like, um, you know, don't give up on God give, give God a second chance. Um, one experience, um, should not, you should not make your decision based on, you know, one experience, maybe even two or three experiences, right? Because in, in just like, you know, going to a church and you might not have, have had the best time, at one church um, doesn't mean that that's going to be the same for all of them. It doesn't mean that that defines your relationship with Christ either. Um, and it, it, exactly. So I, I, uh, I just first of all, I, I really appreciate uh, your message today and, and just sharing a bit more what's on your heart. Um, and I just wanted to f- hear where people can can find you, uh, where people can find you know the article and just a bit more about your story and how we can uh, how we can follow you and the work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, the article was published on faithit.com. It's 59% of millennials have dropped out. They're trying to tell us why. It was also published on my blog, recklesslyalive.com. I I originally called it 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over Church. But uh, recklesslyalive.com is where the hub of everything that I do. Uh, I blog not just about suicide and depression, but I blog about faith and struggle, Mm. adventure. Uh, You can find me on Instagram, Alive, Recklessly. Uh, or on Facebook. Uh, both of our suicide prevention videos are out on Facebook. One of them has over 30,000 views, which is awesome. It's called Choose to Live, The Day Suicide Didn't Win. Um, so definitely check those out and consider sharing those. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a great way to get this conversation started. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, well thank you. And um, just to, to wrap things up, I would love for you to close us out in prayer, if that uh, if that works for you. I would love to. Thank you. Hey, Jesus, just want to say thank you so much for this time, for the work that Tyler's doing. Uh, Thank you for just reminding us uh, who we are on a daily basis, that we're loved by you, um, no matter what we go through, no matter how hard things get. God, I just pray if there's anybody out there who's identifying with parts of my story, whether that's depression or suicidal thoughts, that they would just reach out for help um, and that they would tell someone what they're going through uh, and, and just hear me when I say that that life can and life will get better. Uh, God, I thank you just for all the work that you're doing in me and in Tyler, and just that you would continue to bless our our ministries and and steer us in a way that would honor you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.